Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here. Before we jump in today's episode, I'd like to announce the next boot camp. It's going to start January 6, 2020, and we're putting it together right now. It should be our biggest boot camp so far. In 2019, we had six boot camps and about 100 people went through it. And I have to tell you, it's been an amazing experience. In fact, this year has been incredible. Those people who went through the boot camp came from all over the world with all different levels of understanding the law of attraction and Joshua's teachings. Some had never even heard the term law of attraction and had just recently found Joshua, and some had been studying for years. But the thing that they all got is this new perspective about who they are, how this reality works, and how to engage the law of attraction to create the lives of their dreams. And so many amazing things have happened. People are starting podcasts, writing books, writing blogs, getting promotions at work, getting better relationships with their loved ones and children and spouses and parents and all that sort of thing. But the most amazing thing is the boot camp itself helps everyone discover their soul's purpose. You know, you came here intending to discover who you truly are and to find out what you're here to do. And when you go along on a journey of self-discovery, discovering who you truly are, all your attributes and talents emerge, things you didn't even know about yourself. You are a unique person, and every experience in your life is unique as well. And all of the experiences of your life had led you up to discovering law of attraction, maybe finding Abraham Hicks, maybe getting into yoga or something else, and then eventually finding Joshua. And now that you're here, it's time to take the next step in your evolution, your spiritual journey. You do that by engaging a process, an active process, where you work through all your limiting beliefs and all your pre-held conceptions about what physical reality was and about yourself, and you shed the illusion of unworthiness and imperfection and being flawed and all that stuff. You intended to expand in joy, yet sometimes you expand in joy through experiences and sometimes you expand in suffering. That suffering simply comes from a limited perspective brought forth by limiting beliefs. If you can adjust those limiting beliefs, reduce the intensity of them, then you offer less resistance. In that state of less resistance, you are more in alignment. And in alignment, you receive inspiration to take you on your spiritual journey to discover who you truly are. You end the resistance, and so all these amazing things start to happen. You've been led by uh, inspiration, by guidance, to find the law of attraction, to find Joshua, to listen to this podcast. And now it's time for you to go to the next level. The new bootcamp starts January 6th. If you would like to learn more about it, it is very intense. The only way you can learn more about it is to send me an email, uh, joshuateachings at gmail.com. And then if you're interested in what you hear on that email, we can schedule a conversation to make sure you're at the right place and this is for you. It's a fun conversation. I've done about 100 of them so far and everyone is different. So don't be scared. Don't let your fear stop you from doing what you're inspired to do. Reach out to me at joshuateachings at gmail.com and I'll tell you all about it. So enjoy the show and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. There's more going on than you know. There are unseen universal forces at work. The law of attraction is just one universal law that plays a part in shaping your reality. But there's so much more to know. 
If you knew how to engage all the universal forces, you could deliberately create the life of your dreams. Joshua, a group of non-physical teachers, explains the laws of the universe and how the mechanisms of physical reality actually work. They are channeled by Gary Temple Bodley, and each week, Gary and a group of students discuss how they are affecting and enhancing their lives every single day. This is the expansion of the Law of Attraction. This is the teachings of Joshua Roundtable. We're thrilled you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Law of Attraction Roundtable. I'm your host, Gary Temple Bodley, and with me today is Fabienne Vells, a very good friend of mine and a Joshua friend and a boot camper and all that stuff. And we actually got to meet in person. It's so funny because we have all these group of friends around the world and we see each other in Zoom and connect on Facebook and that stuff, but we got to meet. Anyway, say hi to everyone. Hello. There we go. Okay, we got that out of the way. So yeah, we got to, we were in France, Paris. You came up yeah. from, where were you, in Lyon? Near Lyon, yeah, where yep. my parents live. Yeah. And you're English, but you're French. You grew yeah. up in France? Yes. <laughs> and so you just hopped on the train, came up, and we just had the funnest day where we did this mm. thing where we went in the, in the underground and we said, let's just see where we pop up and just have fun there. And so we didn't know where we were going. We just popped up and go, oh, let's explore this place. And we, and we just, we did a Joshua thing, which is um, not having any plans, just going on absolute inspiration. And so if somebody has inspiration, we just follow that inspiration. Yeah, totally. It was it? just the best day ever. <laughs> so fun. This is yeah, how I just want was. to do everything. No plans. It was. Yeah. No. And we just sort of like, we found this really lovely um, place to eat as well. And it was just, it was just perfect. Like yeah. just, just how to be. And that was, I was saying um, earlier on to my husband, how I'm loving like simply being at the minute, just not, you know, not being at work, not doing the, you know, in, in French, we've got this, this expression, which is metro boulot dodo. So like underground work and sleep. Uh -huh. Um, and and it really felt towards the end of the year like I was on this hamster wheel and just constantly going, going. And with the holidays, because I, I work in I, I, so in a university, yeah. being off has been amazing because I really felt like I've stepped off and you know being just like going with the flow. Okay, what am I inspired to do today, and what right. am I going to do today? Okay, like for a walk. See this, this. Yeah, you get inspiration, go for a walk. And mm. a lot of times you're saying, no, I can't go for a walk now. I got to do this and that, or I got to do something productive or whatever, you know, but now that's not how it works. We're supposed mm. to get into this like state of just being and then receive inspiration because we're in alignment and just do that fun thing, the most fun thing we can do in the moment. And that will fill in all the blanks. Mm. Totally. And it just, yeah, because otherwise it's just us controlling things, right? It's yeah. just, it's sort of trying to manipulate situations and make things happen. And when we remove ourselves and just follow inspiration, it's just, yeah, it feels good. So. good. Well, I wanted to have you on because you are an author and you're uh, in the university system you understand the law of attraction, you understand Joshua's teachings, 
And you have an interesting story about being in education and then taking a break, having your children, and then going back into it and seeing it with new eyes on how it's really working. And that inspired you to write two books now, and the second book just came out. And so we're going to talk about the book and that. But so just tell us that story. Okay. So um, I worked in university in, in the UK uh, from 2000 to 2005. And then I left and for about nine years and then came back in 2014. Um, to be honest, I came back. I would I would describe it like screaming and kicking in the sense that I've every excuses I could find to just not go back because I love being self-employed. I was like, no, 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 I can't do this. And then every time it was like, no, here's the answer to your question. I can't do it because of the boys. And then my, my neighbor set up as, as a childminder. So she's like, I'll have your boys. <laughs> so that was it, my answer. So I went back in 2014 and now I understand why I had to go back because otherwise I wouldn't have you know, seen and so exactly in the same position so I manage the, the French language provision for the university where I work and it's like a it's like a really prestigious school right yeah it's really really good it's one of in in England we call them like Russell group universities so yes it's a very good university um and what really happened is when I came back, I came back in a similar sort of similar position. And to say that I was shocked by what I came back to was just an understatement. It's sort of, you know, students seem to be less able to cope with the stress and the academics of workloads. Um, and just, you know, feeling anxious or sort of like reporting feeling anxious. And and also what I found really interesting is the fact that a lot of my colleagues who'd stayed in, in academia in the same environment didn't seem to notice yeah. as much. Um, and it was, you know, I always use the, the story of the, the analogy of like, you know, the frog, if you put a frog in boiling water and try to jump out, whereas if you put a frog in cold water and just you know, slowly sort of like bring it to boil, it might just not notice. And it really felt like this, that I was much more like shocked by this different environment and noticing it a lot more and, and, and my colleagues not so much. So what you noticed was in the early days, in the early 2000s, relatively well-adjusted students who mm -hmm. weren't facing a lot of depression or suicide no. or anxiety mm -hmm. and just doing the work and going through and graduating. Yeah, then you yeah. come back 10 years later and there's massive amounts of anxiety suicidal thoughts, suicides, um, and depression. Yeah, totally. And why is that? What happened? Why? Um, well, it's, it, it, there's not one reason, I think. I think, um, to be honest, I really think that there are a completely different generation. I right. really believe that. So, um, you know, Joshua often talks about like a different vibration and the fact that we are all vibrational beings and that, you know, uh, young people who are born, you know, at a certain date, you know. So I really think that this is what we are seeing. So I think young people are less likely to, um, to put up with, a, a, a lot of what we put up with maybe right. I think definitely you know they just they, they, they they're more demanding I think also around that time the fees started being increased 
universities. So you know, it went from a thousand pounds. So back in two thousand, students were paying about a thousand pounds. Now they're paying about nine thousand pounds. So I think that sort of generated fear around money and you know fear of the future so when I was talking to students they talk a lot about the fear of you know fear of future um, I think also the current educational system in 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 the UK really focuses on achievements and results and exams and you know, you've just got to be like an A-star student and you've got to achieve this grade to go to the, this school and this university. Um, and also loads that, you know, for example, uh, you know, nowadays you one in two British students, young people will go to university and one in four will get a first class degree. So that puts a lot of pressure on them. You know, they, they look at other people and they just feel, well, I'm not special because there's another, you know, one in two go to university. Whereas, you know, in the, in the 70s or the 80s, people were, you know, there were fewer people at university, so they were more special yeah. and felt more special, you know, when they came out. And and I think that brings out this need in them to be really competitive. So all that fear breeds the uh, competitiveness, the, the perfectionism. The comparison. The uh, oh, compar- I, call, I call that comparatitis. Yeah. So the, it's a real illness. It's like comparing yourself to others, yeah. but not in a positive way, not in yeah. a positive, never in a positive light. Yeah. Um, and, and this real need to, no, but I need my first. So, you know, over the last sort of, uh, I've been back since 2014, but I've had students who've come to see me and said, how are you going to make sure I get my first? What's a first mean? First, like a first class um, degree. So we've got in the UK, we've got four different classifications. When you get a degree, you get a first class degree, a 2-1, a 2-2, and a third, and then obviously no classification. And a lot of employers ask for a first class degree for their grad schemes and everything else. So Yeah. So that's even worse than the U.S. because the U.S., well, the U.S. is you get a degree and then you might get a master's after that or PhD or something. But it doesn't, they're all the degrees are the same, except the schools are different. So mm. this degree from one school might carry more weight than the degree, but not really, not so much. Pretty much, you know, I don't know because I don't work in corporate world, but this is a thing. But I think one of the couple of the interesting things about this is that going to your school, all these kids are the best of the best from wherever they came from. They they learn to value themselves on their achievements academically. And that proved to them that they were worthy and superior to these other kids. And especially in England where it is a class structure more so than the U.S. anyway. And then they get into your school and now they're just the same as everyone else. They, it's, it's impossible for them to get to the top of that. And so now they have to rethink who they really are and how they define themselves. Yeah. Which is totally the old approach of life. Uh, yeah, totally. totally. And, <laughs> and so they're, they're finding at a young age that this approach to life cannot and will not work. Right. Mm. And so they're, 
they're struggling and efforting their way to, through things that they're probably not that interested in. They're doing it just to get that degree, just so they can feel secure about their future and then define themselves by the degree they want. And yeah. if they can't get that degree, then that means they have to redefine themselves. And that must be scary as shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, and I, and I often joke and sort of say to people, imagine these, like you were saying, these young people are experts on getting A stars. You know, they're, <clears throat> they're really academic young people who master how to, um, to get the grades. Right. And then they arrive in this university and it's, it's, a, it's the, you know, small pond, big pond syndrome where you just suddenly with like, you know, you think you're a big fish and then you end up in a bigger pond and you realize that there are actually bigger fish yeah. than you. Um, and, and, but, but equally, you know, they've been playing a game and they're really good at it. And then right. suddenly you just change the rules of the game. So, you know, I often sort of say, well, actually, if it was, if it was me and that's all I knew, my reaction would also be, to go, well, no, hang on, this is the rules of the game. This is how I play it. You can't just suddenly change them. So, yeah. um, yes. So. And I'm awesome at this game. And yes. the game is I will do, I will excel and achieve because in that I get to receive love and respect mm -hmm. from parents, peers, teachers. And if I don't, then where does the love come from? How am I going to create that love? There's going to be a vacuum of love, and I can't mm. live without that love. So their whole life they've been controlling their conditions based on this achievement. This is like I say all the time. You know, when there's a little kid, the little kid is inspired to draw, and it's just that pure inspiration coming through, and from non-physical to physical, they're creating this inspiration perfect for them. The fun part is the drawing, and then someone takes that picture and puts it on the fridge, and from now on, it's how do I get that drawing onto that fridge? Mm, that's yeah. it. That's <laughs> it. And, and yeah, that's the, it, it is exactly how it's validated, isn't it? It's the, you know, you do, and, and being a parent myself, this is something that I've been working really hard at sort of not doing with, with my two boys, the linking the the academic achievement with or the level any, of intelligence or anything yeah. you know any with the, achievement to any yeah, reward this this sort of like you know the clever boy clever girl and yeah. you know with, with what you do because the problem is it's conditioning. It's, yeah. it's like Pavlov's dogs. You just then condition your children to just look for more validation from you. If you say, you know, it's the same with like, a, oh, you're so good and then you're so naughty. Yeah. You know, when they were little, I absolutely, every time I said to, to the boys, you know, you're naughty, I was just going, no, please don't use that word. I just don't really want you to use that word. And and I remember my um, my eldest Thomas saying to my dad once he was probably about four or five, and he sort of I don't know what he'd done. And my dad turned around and said, "Oh, you so naughty!" And he just turned around and went, "No, Granddad, it's my behaviour, not me." Ah, that's so great. <laughs> ah, that's so good. But, my my father wasn't very impressed, but, <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> he was like, "What are you teaching him?" <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, it's also like when a kid has an interest, and you say, "Oh, that's a good interest." Mm -hmm. 
then you're totally controlling or conditioning their interest. Not only do their their behavior has to be in a certain way, but now also their passions and interests have to mm. have to agree with you. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. So and you, and, you know, ahead. this is this is another thing I notice from people who come to universities that sometimes those who are you know, that I would call flourishing, they usually have that intrinsic motivation. They know why they're there. They're really passionate and they love what they're doing. Um, whereas those who are just there because they want that bit of paper, it's so much more difficult and challenging yeah. for them because, because when they experience you know, difficulties or if they get a lower grade and they thought they would get and that really, really demotivates them. Yeah, because they're attached to an outcome, which is the grade. And those who are truly interested in it are simply attached to being able to learn more, mm. you know, to explore that subject more. And if they go, oh, look at that, you know, it's different than what I think it is. And there's the test that shows that I, mm. I'm missing something here. And they're like, well, let's go back and take another look at this from another perspective. They don't take it personally because they're just interested in that subject. Mm. And so they're operating from love rather than from fear. Yeah, so you, you, you've written two books. The first mm -hmm. book is The Flourishing Student. And when did you publish that? Mm, 2017. Okay, so you, you got back into this job again. You yeah. saw what was going on. And did that yeah. inspire you to write this book? So that inspired me to be curious and explore and, and research. So I, one thing that made me very curious is obviously I'm, I grew up in France and you know, now I live in the UK, but so my, my first language is French. Um, and in French, the, the word mental health is a very sort of neutral, sort of positive word. So it has a similar meaning to physical health. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's something that we all have and that we can look after. Um, whereas in the UK, uh, and I don't know if it's the same in, you know, in, in the state, in the UK, the, what I really noticed when I was exploring and sort of being curious is that mental health is always associated with negative modifiers in, in the UK. So we talk about mental health, but what we mean is mental ill health right. or mental health problems. Right. Um, and so for me, what, what was very jarring, I guess, because of my perceptions and my, you know, my beliefs is that we, we start from the, from the premise that there's something wrong with our mental health um, rather than just, you know, accepting that mental health is, is a continuum. Uh, so that's one of the things that I mentioned in the first book. Uh, I also interviewed a professor who's called Professor Corey Keyes, who's in the States and he's, He's created a, uh, a continuum on the mental health and he really separates mental health and mental illness and sort of explains that you can be flourishing with a mental illness or without a mental illness and you can be languishing with a mental illness or without a mental, without a mental illness. And so the flourishing student comes from his work, from uh -huh. his, because I love flourishing as a, as a word. Yeah. Um, and the, the fact, from for me what I really really love and you know the more I sort of look into well-being in education and flourishing in you know in education I really love that notion of 
innate well-being and the fact that we you know, our body like homeostasis and our body will heal itself you know you yeah. yourself it's, you know, if you break your your leg you put a plaster to sort of like you know hold it there but really it's your body that heals itself um and and that's what i really love about his work is the fact that it it's about empowering people to to realize that you know our mental health is something that we can and you know we can we can be well you know and our natural state is well-being when we're free of resistance mm. so the idea then is not to fix a problem but just just to realize that our way of thinking was resistant mm. and then to approach this idea of acceptance where we don't need anything outside of us to mean anything mm. where we can mm -hmm. have it be fine as it is and then exist in that well-being and then knowing that we'll receive whatever we need to travel along a journey of exploration of who we truly are mm. That may not land you fame, fortune, and in a mansion on the beach in California, but it will land you feelings of appreciation and acceptance and love and exhilaration and excitement and joy. And since this is a feeling reality, that's all we care about anyway, is mm. how can we live this life fully and in a satisfying way, discovering who we truly are and experiencing all these amazing things, feelings, that have been orchestrated by the universe, you know, mm, mm. like that day we had together was orchestrated by the universe. Everything just lined up. We were at the right place, right time, beautiful weather, yeah. fun day in Paris. I mean, this is a memory that you'd have for the rest of your life. Forever. <clears throat> and it wasn't planned. And we didn't say, okay, we're going to save 50 bucks a week so that we can go to Paris in two years and have this experience with Fabian. Mm -hmm. It was, no, we're, we got this chance to go. We went, we had time to do, do whatever we wanted to do. The inspiration came for you to come. You've realized that you could come. You, we both had to push past fear to do it. Of course, the fear was minimal. And we had the day and there's no expectations of any of it. We just did what mm -hmm. we did. Couldn't have been better. Mm -hmm. This is, yeah. If, if we could all just learn how to live this way. So, so in the flourishing student, is there a perspective that you gained from doing the book? Uh, yeah, 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 totally. So I think, I think what I did with the flourishing students is I explored the, okay, what was going on and, and, and I shared then, my experience with it so the book is for other tutors like me who might be wondering what's going on and might want to sort of like try and understand so effectively what I've done is I I explored and sort of try tried to understand what was going on and then I put it in into a book right. um, and and what I did also as part of the book is I created a the flourishing student model so one of the things that I said um, was that rather than just focusing on mental health, we need to look at the individual as a, a in a holistic way. Um, so, you know, to be well in this in this physical body, um, then we need to 
look after our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health, our social health, and the other one that I mentioned is the spiritual health. So as part of the of the book, what I noticed is I interviewed students who were flourishing, but were either uh, either had a mental illness or not. Um, and from that, I drew like loads of um, okay, what are their their strategies? What do they do to be flourishing? Um, very clearly, you know, the the spiritual spiritual health, which is something that's overlooked a lot, was either um, a real sense to that they belong to something bigger or that um, that they had this real, you know, I have a sense of purpose. I know mm-hmm. what I'm here um, yeah. and I know what I want to achieve. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is what I, I said in the book is, is we need to look at after ourselves as a holistic whole person rather than just, you know, sort of like, okay, tweaking. That's part of the thing that sometimes I feel in, in education is happening is it's almost like trying to find the silver bullet or the magic wand. Mm-hmm. The words for everyone. Yeah, that yeah. is going to sort everything out. And, yeah. and the reality is that we're all individuals, we're all unique. And so therefore, you know, what works for me in terms of, you know, for my physical health, for example, I love, I love going for walks with my dog in, in nature. My best friend runs marathons. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it just wouldn't work for me, but it obviously works for her. So that's great, right? <laughs> so at this time, this is um, in 2014? So, uh, so I came, I, I arrived in 2014 and I wrote the book, or it was published in 2017. When did you start writing the book? Um, I'd say about 2016. And when did you find Joshua? When did uh, Wendy start her one to one with you? That's when I started listening to the yeah, podcast. Yeah, a while ago. So that might have been right around that time. Yeah. Yeah. And were you interested in Abraham before that or anything else? Uh, oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wayne so Dwyer. Yeah, yeah, all sorts. Like, so you, sorts had, of- you had this foundation that subconsciously was creeping in there. Mm realizing that there's something you know there's something happening here and what is naturally happening because the kids don't really get much of this information it's that adults are really the ones who find this because usually we you know effort and struggle and figure out control doesn't work and we're like what does work and then we stumble along abraham or joshua or whatever else um, so, so that shows you that certain people are naturally abiding by the laws of the universe. Mm-hmm. And that is the passion part of it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like this call right now is something I'm, is part of my passion doing these podcasts. And so one thing you'll notice is the time goes by like crazy, well, really you know, and, and you're just receiving thoughts mm-hmm. very clearly, you know, and you're having a good time and it's super interesting. This is how you know when you're in a passion. And so you're being driven by this state of love mm-hmm. and not by a state of fear. If a state of fear might be, well, we have to talk about something interesting so that we'll get a lot of listeners, so that they'll tell their friends, so that we'll get high ratings, blah, 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 blah. That's all based in fear. We just are doing our own thing because it's fun. And if anyone listens to this or not, who cares? There's, yeah. you know, and that's how you know when you're being driven by love. 
And it's all about that love and everything else will fill in. Everything else that needs to be filled in will fill in and nothing is tied to it. So you've got this going on. And then, then when did you start writing how to grow a grown up, which is the second book? Um, so I guess that's part of writing flourishing students. I met, um, Dominic, um, my co-author, um, who, then was a was a GP sort of managing the the student health services where I work, um, and we got on really well. And we really realised that uh, so not enough information for parents, I guess, and loads of parents. I, I don't know if it's the same in 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 the states, but in the UK, I think part of the reasons young people are so stressed as well is that a lot of parents are helicopter parenting. Right. You know, and have you met Michelle Donna? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So she's uh, she does that work. She'll go into the family, yeah. the parents say the kid's struggling, and she spends all her time showing the parents a more empowering perspective. Yeah. 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 Just well, it's the. It, I think it's because the parents are in fear, so they just they they also remove like every single obstacle in front of their children. Right. So it's like a clear path. Um, and yes, you know, it, it, I'd love to remove all the obstacles from my kids, but the problem is it's it's from adversity, it's from those challenges that sort of make us, it make our fears arise and we can sort of like question things. That's where we grow, right? Um and a lot of the of a lot of the students I, I see, they haven't got any resilience. So it's a little right. bit like from a young age, it's is this terminology of imagine parents have them in this box and it's like I'm gonna protect you from germs and you are not going to be exposed to any germs and, you know, until you're eighteen and then I open the door and I just go, off you go. Yeah. And the first virus you encounter, you're in hospital, right? right. Is, is, is the same analogy in the sense that, you know, resilience is something that children need to build slowly and develop. And, you know. So Joshua just finished this article, which is going to be in the Live Attraction magazine. And it's, um, it's called Children Who Face Obstacles, right? Uh, and it's all about parents removing the obstacles from the child. Now, why does a why does a parent want to remove the obstacle? Because they're in fear. They're worried. And so, they're, in fear, what do they receive? Well, it urges to control the conditions. Right. Why? Because they don't. They can't mitigate that fear any other way, and they're so used to controlling conditions. Because now you can. When we were kids, the parents were at work. There's no cell phones. They didn't even care if you got bullied at school or if you had a problem with the teacher, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so we naturally built resilience. Mm -hmm. And if you take away that, those manifestation events that everyone needs to show them a new perspective so that they can, they can reduce the intensity of limiting beliefs and build confidence as they go forward to be able to do anything they're inspired to do, you take that away and you create a new group of humans without this resilience. Now that's not bad or wrong. It's going to be interesting to see how it turns out, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
And I think I think this is partly what we are seeing, you know, currently is the fact that, you know, and the other they see that it's sort of a helicopter parenting or wanting to be their friends. Mm-hmm. So desperately wanting the 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 children to love you so much that you allow them to do everything and anything and and you know and so you in the book in the second book we call that parenting you know wanting to be their they're like friends and and their best mates so you want to be involved in their in their uh, friendships and in their um, you know love relationships and everything else and again i think i don't think that's love i don't think that comes from the love that comes from the fear perspective absolutely because if you perceive that another person can love you then you get attached to the love and then you have to control that love always coming in mm-hmm. which means that in order to control it you have to be a friend you have to give them everything they want you have to smooth out everything any single time they complain you got to take care of it because that may interrupt the flow of love that you depend on. But the love's never coming from that person. When your first child was born and you saw him as a baby, did that baby love you? You know, the baby didn't even know where it was even aware of you. The baby saw you, maybe there's something emotional in, in there, but really the baby was existing and you were aligned in that moment perceiving everything was wonderful, you felt the love coming from source or coming from your Mm -hmm. inner self or your alignment with who you truly are. You felt that and you associated that with the baby. Mm. And so now you, the baby grows up and if the baby comes and says something sweet to you, you get into alignment, you feel good and you believe the baby caused you to feel good. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if the baby does something that causes you fear, you perceive it's the baby's or at this case now it's the child's, fault that you feel fear and so you try and control the child and how do i know this i've never i don't have any kids <laughs> who am i to say any of this stuff <laughs> but you can probably observe it looking right. at it from my observance right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and from your own your own perspective as well i guess as a kid we're a child yeah, yeah so. as a kid mm, totally it's funny um but yeah you know and again we got to say that this is not a problem and it's no. not wrong no. It's just not effective, no. you know. No. And and you know, the, the, again, the, you know, the the thing is, this is what we say a lot in this in the second book is that I have a lot of compassion for both the young people and for the parents. I mean, being a parent myself, um, because we always do the best we can with the resources we have, and you know, and and. If all you know is the old approach, if all you know is like, okay, if I don't, if I feel this intense emotion, I've got to try and control the conditions or the people outside to feel better, then that's what you will be doing because yeah. that's what you've always done and that's what you carry on doing until somebody tells you there's a different way of doing things. Plus, everyone else around you is doing the same thing. And if you start doing it by an effective approach, by the new approach to life, they're going to think you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What do you, what do you mean you don't care if they go to school or not, or if you, if they get a good grade, you don't think that's a good, yeah. good thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, totally. uh, yeah. Yeah. Because, because it's, um, 
Well, but yeah, it's it's sort of like going with what society says and you know the the norms in society and the fact that you know this is what you do. You 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 hop on the you know the treadmill or you know, the hamster wheel and you just go you know onto the okay. So I'll get my first you know thing and it starts really young in the UK because this starts with like at the end yeah. of primary school and then it goes to GCSE at the end of like. Um, Know, so the first part of secondary school and then they go into um, you know, sixth form where they do their A-levels and then they go to university if they want to or they go to a, you know, another college and, and it is just constant, constant sort of like, you know, society says this is what we need to be happy or to get the job and you know, get the money. You know, like the mansion, what you were saying earlier on, that mansion, California with the big house and, you know, the big house, the big car and you should be happy. And be famous, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and of course, what you do is you get more manifestation events when you go that way. So I was laying in bed, as I often do, and talking to Joshua and have these, I have these really focused conversations when I'm laying in bed where my mind used to drift towards minutiae and problems and stuff. And now it's like focused on these bigger ideas. And so it, it's really stimulating and fun. So the last night it was about fear. So fear really boils down to the lack of information. If you had all the information, you couldn't possibly feel fear because you would know what's happening. Hmm. For instance, your first breakup, you felt negative emotion, that's fear, because you thought that this person leaving you, it's going to ruin your life and the person's supposed to stay mm-hmm. with you forever. You didn't have the information, and the information now, after time has passed, you know what did happen. And had you known, had that information at the time, it would be impossible to feel negative emotion because you just mm-hmm. have the information. Um, and uh, Tracy was taking uh, the car somewhere and she almost got T-boned by another car that just stopped right before, you know, before it hit her and just missed her. And so she comes up, comes home all mad and having a manifestation event and all upset and this, this crazy driver, what a jerk and all this stuff. But I had all the information. She was fine. The car was fine. Nothing happened. So I have no negative emotions. impossible to feel fear, you know. That's just what this fear is. If you can realize that in the times where you think your child is having a problem, you can you have to remind yourself you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and the fact that actually, it, in effect, what's happening for them is, is for them and that you, you know, it's, if you try to remove that, whatever manifestation event is in front of them, you're preventing them from getting a, a really good gift from, right. you know, it's, it's a gift and it's, yeah. you know, who are you to take it away from them and, and not give them the opportunity to have the manifestation event so they can, as you said previously, have a different perspective. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's just because we see these events as things happening to us rather than things happening for us. Yeah. Even now, you know, I catch myself going, why did this happen? And I go, oh, for yeah. Yeah, probably yeah, this, this, and that. Okay, so you, you finish the first book, then you get inspired to do the second book. What's the inspiration yeah. on the second book? Um, well, again, I guess it's sort of like, you know, 
collaboration first, I think, and for parents. And again, I think, you know, you often say that about the work you do, but it really felt like it'd be really fun to write a book that will serve me as a as a parent because my eldest is 12 and he's sort of like so the book is for 11 to sort of 25 year olds um and so effectively i've written a book for myself first and then hopefully it'll it'll be useful for other people um but what we've done is we've we've brought um my 20 years of experience as an educator and a teacher and dominique's experience as a as a doctor um and together we've just we, we wrote the book for parents so it's sort of about trying to help parents to navigate to understand what's going on with their with their young people and how they can help and support them. Yeah, instead so, of fix things. Yeah, instead of fixing notes. And, and again, you know, is this thing about understanding that there's no magic pill and that because a child is, is every single child is different, um, you, you, one thing might, might be useful for one child and not for the other. And you know, that's just acknowledging that as well. It's really important. Um, but we... So we decided to write this in 2000 and so what are we, yeah, end of 2019, so 2018 and we started writing it and when I started the, the, the book camp, the first time I did the book camp, I was in the middle of writing the book. And is Dominique interested in this stuff? Is she into spirituality? <laughs> No, I don't think she is. I don't. We've. I don't think we've ever talked about. Isn't about, that funny? Here's no. someone who's who's in your life. If they're attracted to you, then then part of why they're attracted to you is because here you are in the forefront of a new technology or new information that other people don't have, and you don't talk about it. Which is like so common, you know? Yeah, we haven't, yeah, I don't think we've discussed it. But then, you know, I think, I guess if, if she's in my life, she, she vibrates at a similar rate as I do, right? So, so, and and I often say that about my husband, because my husband is definitely not in, in, interested in law of attraction or, you know, he wouldn't watch videos or listen to podcasts like I do. But actually, a lot of the things he says are so, like, Joshua-like. Things like when I get really, you know, mad or annoyed, he just goes, well, it is what it is, Fabienne. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so he's actually sometimes much naturally, more aligned, yeah. <laughs> naturally aligned than I am, you know. Um, and I, uh, you know, in one of the boot camps, so Tina um, and and I sort of have been I've been talking, um, and her husband is very similar. She was saying the same thing. So very often, you know, people might not sort of say I'm into the law, you know, law of attraction, or they might not be interested in in those topics or want to those topics in the way that we are. Right. But they actually are quite aligned without. <laughs> yeah, without they're, they're, they're naturally flourishing. Yes. You know. Yes. And I, not think this, yeah. Yeah. and I think this is true of, of Dominic, of my co-author. Yes, exactly. So, so you get together, you write this book that's really for you. 
as a parent of now 12 year old who's going to be going into this next stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did you also find, so really you're talking about learning how to put your fears in perspective as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so I think, I guess it's about not controlling your kids, not solving problems, the problems for your kids. So it's, a, you know, the fact that they they are living their life and you're living your life and that your role as a, as a parent is, a, is not to go and sort of like try and control everything that's happening so that you can feel better. Um yeah, just sort of like support them, I guess. Which book was which book came out easier? Definitely the second one. And when you're when you were typing away, what did that feel like? What were you doing? Well, I guess I guess knowing what I know, I was probably you know obviously getting the inspired, <laughs> getting yeah. inspiration. I think I think also as a as a person. I'm a different person now than I was in 2017. So um, something I haven't said, but for, for the for the first book, I had to go through major imposter syndrome right. um, and really, really, um, you know, sort of like loads of manifestation events where I had to process that in my own way because obviously back then I didn't really have the tools that I have now. Um, so, so when I wrote the flourishing students, I remember I wrote 20,000 words and then I deleted it all. Ah. And then I wrote to my, uh, to my publisher and I just said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And she, she sent an email back saying, I think you'll, you'll, uh, you'll see that you've signed a contract that says you'll be with me in March 2000 and <laughs> She wasn't going to have it. She's used to, yeah, she was used to first time authors, right? Probably everyone goes through this. Yeah. And that was, that was great. Obviously that's what I needed. But so I guess as, um, as an individual, um, um, for, far more confident in my in the abilities that I can do it. Because Um, you went through all those manifestation events in the first book, right? And what happens is most people don't have an editor who will bring out a contract to make you push past your fear. You know, people will just normally succumb to it. And this is why Mm -hmm. luckily you had a contract where most people say, I'm going to write this book and then take it out there. And the whole time they're writing their book, the doubts are coming in saying, this is no good. You're, you know, you're no good for writing this. You're wasting your time, all that stuff. And these are the doubts that always come through when you're being inspired to do anything. You have to keep pushing past that doubt. Yeah. Yeah, that's the leap past the fear. Yeah. And, and, yeah, so I think with the second book it was easier because of that, because of, of that, the growth that happened with the, with the first book. I guess it's a little bit like giving birth to – obviously you wouldn't know that because you have no children and you're not a woman, but <laughs> it's like your, your first baby is always harder than the, the second one and the third. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's like <laughs> if I write a third one, it'll probably be written much even quicker. I don't yeah. Know. Well, I had written a lot – 
um, novels and things throughout my whole life. I did write one, I wrote a study course in my early 20s on how to sell foreclosures. That thing took a year and I was typing all day long every day. You know, it was this, it was this whole thing. And then I would write these very cool, you know, I, I wrote a, um, I wrote a Seinfeld episode. I wrote a, um, a pilot for a TV show. That, none of them happened to anything. I just was writing stuff for friends who were in the business and tried to get stuff done with them. And then I wrote a few beginnings of novels that got to a certain point. But after a while, it was like, in the beginning, it was all flowing easily. And then it was stopped flowing because all this doubt crops in. You don't want to go back to the computer and start going. What if nothing comes out? All that crap. Then comes along Joshua, and it's just maybe half an hour or an hour a day, just sitting and then in eight weeks, the whole thing's done. And every book was like that. Uh, you know, so it, it, when you understand that this information is always flowing to you on whatever you're interested in because you become this path of least resistance yeah. to let this higher stuff come. If you don't judge it or attach an outcome to it or define yourself by it, that's where the imposter syndrome comes in, right? Mm. I couldn't have the imposter syndrome because it wasn't me, mm. right? Because mm. if I had put my name on that book and said this was my stuff, I would have had that. Who am I to stop this stuff? Yeah, right? So I got lucky in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, it's interesting that I wrote in, in English and not in French, given that my teacher when I was about 14 told me that was rubbish and that would never amount to anything. And so, you needed that. You needed that, right? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. It's, sort of, it's all those you know, all those things that you have in your life that get you to what you know, to the person you are. I just no, ca right. came up with this realization this week. I'm 57. I'm going to be 57 years in a week from now. And when I was five, my brother, my mother, we would walk to this grocery store from our apartment in Vancouver. And maybe it was six blocks away, something like that. And I'm there one day and she, I lose her. I used to lose her all the time in stores, all the time. I go find the manager and he takes me in the office and he's on the microphone. Uh, well, Mrs. Bodley, please pick up her child, blah, 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 blah. And then eventually he goes, I don't know what to tell you, kid. She's not here. And so I'm like, okay, I'll just go home. So I just leave the grocery store. He doesn't care that I leave. I'm five years old. No one cares I leave. And I'm walking home. I don't know where home is really. I guess I did because I walked the right way. Anyway, I walk a couple blocks, and there's my mom walking ahead with my little brother in a stroller. And so I use this, this example my whole life of, holy shit, can you believe this bad thing happened to me, right? But what it made me realize is that I did not need her, even at five years old. And then when she left eight years later, my parents got divorced, and she's the one who left. She went to New York City, and we stayed in California. Um, it, I was okay with it because I had gone through that experience detaching myself from my need to have a mother like this, right? Mm. And it's like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Everything I needed plus a bunch of other yeah, you know, events yeah. led yeah, me yeah, to yeah. this place where I was, 
I felt guilty when she left because she's like, I got to tell you that uh, we're getting divorced and I have to leave. I don't want to leave you and everything. I'm like, no, it's okay. I'm fine. I want to stay here. You go. Everything's great. I don't, you know, and I felt guilty for not crying that she's leaving. <laughs> well, it set me up perfectly because I went from absolute total control. My mother would go see movies before letting us see them, right? Like PG movies and G movies. And we couldn't take our bikes anywhere. We couldn't do anything on our own. We couldn't trick-or-treat on our own. We couldn't do any of the stuff. What she leaves, my dad's at work all day and dating at <laughs> night. So I am absolutely free. There's no cell phones. I hang out with my friends. I can do whatever I want, live in this great area in San Diego. And this, this perception of absolute control to absolute freedom made me who I am now. Mm. I could see how everything perfectly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so when you look at any event and you say, you know, th this is the cause of my issue, it's really the cause of your path of growth. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's also, I mean, you were, you were talking earlier on about fear and what fear is, but for me, it's also the fact that we... It, if we stay in our comfort zone and we, we never ever step out of our comfort zone um, and never experience any of the challenges, then, you know, you, you, you can't grow. There's, there is not possible. It, and, and it's sort of, it's really important to, to remember that, that yeah. you, you, you can't just stay. You know, one of the things that we've written in, in, in the book is, the fact that a lot of the students once uh, I this is something that I ended up drawing. I don't know if I can find it, so I can show you. But it's um so when I was seeing my students, what I was explaining to them is that very often what they want is is this. Like I don't know if you can see. Yes. If you can see this big line, that that top line being flat at the top. So one of the things that I this is actually something I drew to all of my students, and that's also explain that they want to be at the top, their flat lines, you know, constantly happy. And what I said to them is, the thing is, even your body tells you that it. it you know, like if you look at an electrocardiogram of your heart, then like your heart trace, if it's flat line, it's bad news, love. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> bad news, love. So you need you need those sort of like up and downs. Yeah. To, to you know to be alive. It, this is part of like this life. You know, Joshua talks about being in the amusement park, but that's sort of like the up and down of the. Yeah, of <laughs> a roller coaster. Also, Abraham would say, if you went to a desert, you know, deserted island with all your needs met and total paradise and had everything you wanted, you would get bored very quickly yeah. in like two yeah. weeks, right? Yeah. You want these challenges and obstacles and news. If you're not really, I have this idea too. If you're not pushing past your comfort zone to do what you're inspired to do, you're going to face manifestation events showing you these limiting beliefs. And those manifestation events are not going to feel good. It's going to be scary to push past your comfort zone and push past fear to move out of that comfort zone. But it's better to push past this imaginary fear that's in front of you rather than to face these, mm. uh, you know, these obstacles to get you over your limiting beliefs. I mean, of course, those are good too, but 
it's more enjoyable this way. And the only way to do it, and the reason people don't do it is because they're so afraid of rejection and failure, mm-hmm. which is crazy, you know. It is, it is. Yeah. And and uncertainty, people like you were saying earlier on, is, is the reason people don't want to to things to change is because the fear of change, fear of yeah. like things being different and you know, and not being in control, feeling not and you know, oh my god, I'm not controlling this and, and it's sort of like I've got to spin all those plates. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on spinning them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you embrace the acceptance of not needing security or knowing what's going to happen or, you know, living on the edge. That's really where the freedom is, is living on that edge. Yeah. Well, I think it's knowing that who you truly are does not need need protecting, right? right? Like who we truly are. We are so powerful and so, you know, so... Recently, I've been using a lot of uh, the, the, the image of the of the lighthouse and uh, th- this feeling when I'm really aligned. I really feel like I'm I'm like a, a lighthouse where I can just beam my light and and not worry whether the the, the boats that are going to go past are either going to come into the harbor or carry on their way you know and hopefully my light will sort of shine in a way that will prevent them from crashing against the the rocks and if they crash against the rocks well you know so be it um but it's this real notion that actually i don't need all i need to do is shine my light and 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 not worry about how it's going to be received or not received or, you know, appreciated or not appreciated. I mean, it's sort of like you, you go by the sea and you look at a lighthouse, it doesn't care whether whether the boat see it or not. Right. It. So, <laughs> or if there's even a boat out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. in all weathers, in all circumstances, it's yeah. just, it just shines its light. Uh, was this publisher is Double Day? Was that the same publisher as the first book? No. So the first publisher uh, was Practical Inspiration. So it's a smaller sort of um, uh, publisher, um, and I got a publishing deal through like participating in this sort of ten day to write you know, your book proposal, um, and then she offered me the deal. Whereas the the second book is with a with a big publisher because it's with Pen, Penguin. Yeah. Yes. And so so show the cover. This it's is probably a, just going to be a podcast, but it's it's, it's so bright yellow and pink. So the, my theory is because it's because our audience are probably parents of the eighties like me. Ah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's yeah. my theory. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah. It's, uh, it, 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 it appeals to like, yeah. I love the color, the cover. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It, it grew on me. <laughs> and so uh, where can people find it? Um, so you can find it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. How to Grow a uh, Grown Up. Yeah, How to Grow a Grown Up. Um, and, well, both Amazon.com and Amazon.co.uk or Penguin. Uh, the, the publishers also have it on their 
on their website, I Good. think. And yeah. do you have a third book in store? Um, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, I think where I'm at now is around how do we embed well-being in education and how do we yeah embed well-being in 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 the curriculum so not as a as an add-on as in like go and do a meditation class and then you'll be fine but actually how do we um we teach yeah. uh, young people you know like the i guess the new approach what what i've learned um well how to be here's well. here's my idea that's coming from that it's not that how we change the institution to incorporate well-being. It's how we change the student to incorporate well-being and a daily spiritual practice yeah. along with their education. Yeah. Right? Totally. If, and the problem with this is if you tell someone, here's how you really flourish. You create a daily spiritual practice a sense of spirituality and you will flourish as a student and they think well this means this will help me get better grades grades yeah. and be better in the competition you know they're going to figure it out i think they're going to figure out faster than we did because they're going to hit shit harder mm. you know we could just do anything and we would be fine here it's like you've got technology you've got vast differences in wealth mm -hmm. you know you're gonna if you're not doing well you're gonna feel like you're not doing well yeah uh and people are gonna say this is a bunch of bullshit and they're gonna find which they're finding now yoga and reiki and mm -hmm. veganism and you know law of attraction yeah. and yeah. positive thinking and mindfulness and meditation and all these things and it's gonna lead them here eventually, which is yeah, to the path of least resistance, right? It's yeah. what, <laughs> what gets you there eventually. But, but yeah, totally. But from your perspective, writing a book on really how to flourish in any environment, in any institution, it's not putting the well being in the institution, it's putting the well being in yourself. Yeah. And then flourishing based on what inspires you, that's my, my idea for your next book, and it'll be a huge success because just like Abraham, everyone who comes to Abraham, like I did, comes and says, I'm going to use this law of attraction stuff to make money, you know, and, you know, we have 10 meditations and the abundance meditation is listened to about five times more than all the other nine meditations combined. Wow. Because people want to control yeah. Yeah. abundance through meditation. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You do what's pleasurable, you change your vibration, and then you attract what you need to do what you need to do. Yeah. So that's very exciting. Okay. So how can people find you? Are you are you out there anywhere? Are you doing Instagram? Are you doing a podcast? I am I'm on I'm on Twitter. Yeah. So people can find me at uh, Flourishing He. Um, I also have a website that's flourishingeducation.co.uk. Um, I also have a podcast in French 
code totalement moi. Um, and the newest thing, the new inspiration that I've just had over Christmas is I want to create a, a podcast in English that will be called How to Flourish, I think. Um, and that I, I'd like to actually interview loads of people on like looking at different approaches to just sort of really go back to the conversation that we've had is, you know, to flourish, you need to find out what works for you. And so really showing to people different ways of, of flourishing. Yeah. And, and the fact that, you know, you were saying for young people, Yes, you know it's about em embedding well-being, not in in the in the in the system, but actually in the individual. And it's this uh, giving people their sense of agency, because I think that's one thing that's missing at the minute is that sense of, you know, there is no Prince Charming coming on his white horse to save me, um, and I am I have to look after myself because this is my life, my reality, and nobody else will do it for me. Right. And it's all created from the inside outside. Yeah. Brilliant. Totally. Awesome. Fabian, it was wonderful seeing you again. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's, it's been an amazing conversation. Hopefully I'll be your guest on your English yeah, podcast. Definitely. I, ha I, I was going to ask you. So yes, <laughs> you will be a guest on my, on my podcast. Definitely. Awesome. Good. <laughs> if you, if you want to find out more about Joshua, go to theteachingsofjoshua.com. Our other podcast is Joshua Live with me channeling Joshua in front of a bunch of people. And uh, let's see. Oh, we have a Friends of Joshua Facebook group. Check that out. And uh, look for Joshua Teachings on Instagram. And you can follow me there. Please follow this podcast. That's really important. Please leave a comment what you thought about it. And if you haven't rated it, please leave a rating. And until next week, we'll see you all then. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Teachings of Joshua Roundtable. Remember, you are loved more than you can imagine, by more than you could ever count. We'll see you next week.